0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined once again by my friend and colleague, Paul Tenorio. Paul, it is great to have you back on the show. Excited about that. Um, We have a decent amount to discuss. The U.S. men's national team, the June window continues. Uh, Since our last show, they played a scoreless draw against Uruguay and Kansas City. Lots to reflect on, I think, from that, and lots to look forward to. Maybe not so much to the final two games of this window, which are against weaker opponents, but really to kind of project and and ask questions about over the next five months what's going to happen between now and november twenty first when the US kicks off their World Cup against Wales in Qatar. So Paul, I don't know I don't know I don't even know where to start. Do we start with Uruguay? Do we start with do we start with (laughs) your overall thoughts? You didn't get to talk about Morocco. So if you wanna if you wanna drop any any thoughts there off the top, you can go ahead and do that. But um, yeah, lots to reflect on for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, no, I think um, I watched the Uruguay game actually today, just going over it uh, again. And I, I feel like, you know, especially when I look at the first half and you look at kind of the, the team that the first choice team of this roster, for the most part, I, I I came away feeling decent. I mean, I think the issues that were there in Morocco kind of continued here, which is especially in regards to defensive shape, Joe Scally was um, kind of took a lot of the heat on that from what I saw. But I think there were communication issues in both games defensively mm-hmm. to be expected for multiple reasons. One, because the U.S. was playing a different shape that changed the defensive responsibilities. And two, because they're trying to figure out who the other starting center back is. And, and I think there's an issue there in general in terms of, of quality. Um, and of of trying to create chemistry again. And I think that led to some problems. Obviously, Joe Scali getting his first start against a quality opponent um, at left back instead of right back, there were going to be problems there. And, and I thought the U.S. made some good adjustments. But overall, and Sam, I think we're going to disagree on this. I actually, watching it today, like I felt like the midfield was actually decent, um, especially Eunice Musa. I was kind of surprised by I guess I, I guess I shouldn't call it like a t- like like a conversation. It was more her. I saw her Gomez's take about Yunus Musa kind of got kind of got picked up and, and run run through. I thought Yunus Musa was very good in the first half against Uruguay. Especially. You should explain
1: what that take was for people. Yeah, sorry.
2: 20, so you 24/7. you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> her was saying that Yunus Musa is essentially a poor man's darling to Nagby. and you know I think what he was trying to say is that Musa doesn't have the final third. Um, neither does part, Nagby, but neither does Nagby, yeah. really. So, like, it was kind of a confusing <laughs> take. But I thought Yunus Musa was actually the best of the three midfielders. Yeah, he Red was very Rye. good, I thought. It um, was one of his better performances in terms of kind yeah. of his his way to pick things through. So, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here. But I, I feel like we came into this window with a, a certain set of questions about this team. And I think we left this win. Well, we're not out of the window yet. We left the first two games With the exact same questions about this team.
1: I would agree wholeheartedly. There have been some changes, as Felipe and I discussed on last week's show. They changed the shape big time against Morocco. It wasn't quite as drastic against Uruguay, but it was a little bit different. You know, Musa and Adams were playing more in line in the midfield. And Musa was able to do some nice things in terms of helping build out of the back, which is a responsibility that Adams had been asked mostly to do by himself during qualifying. And there are limitations to that ask. Uh, He he had some difficulties there. Uh, It's not the best part of his game. So I think it's smart to drop Musa into that role. I still have questions, Paul, and, and maybe we can spend some time here because, you know, I was a little bit, I think, harsher on the U.S. midfield than most people were in terms of what I wrote and in terms of kind of my overall evaluation. I didn't think they were terrible or anything like that, but I didn't think they were great either. And it sort of just comes back to my issues with this trio of Musa and Adams and McKennie. Individually, I think these guys are all very good players and I think they all bring really good qualities to the field, but when you play them together collectively, I think they're I think they're limited in terms of how they can build and how they can connect with the front three. And I think we saw that at times against Uruguay. I think we saw at times them do a good job with it. I would say that most of those times that we saw them do a good job with it was primarily through Musa doing pretty excellent work on his own. Um, So I'm not saying they're terrible at it. I think they're okay at it. But when you play against an organized, compact opponent who is maybe sitting in a low block like Wales and Iran very well could do in Qatar in Group B matches at the World Cup, I think those three, as they showed in qualifying, by the way, can have some struggles, breaking that down, getting themselves open, and then when they do get on the ball, progressing it to the attackers in dangerous positions. So that's kind of my issue here. It's not so much about how they played against Uruguay. Um, I think they did okay. I think it's more just kind of about their prospects going forward for the real important matches in five months.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would... Agree partly with that. I think certainly what the U.S. faces now is that they have the luxury of choice and maybe. The, no, I, we I don't, don't know yet. what the hell situation. We don't know who, who be. will be healthy. But right now, even with Gio Reyna out, the, the ability to rotate Brendan Aronson centrally, I thought he did well against Morocco in that role, much better than he did against El Salvador in qualifying centrally. I think it gives you options. Luca Delatore can come in as as an option. I thought my biggest takeaway from the Morocco and Uruguay games of everything that happened, you know, I guess there's two major ones that I thought were important. One, I thought Yunus Musa did well in the role, the new role that he was asked to play. I thought it it fit him well, Um, and I, I liked his performances. But the second one, which I think is the more important one, is I think Christian Pulisic was in space, better spaces receiving the ball in better spaces to impact the game consistently through both games. And that is really, really important for this team. And so their ability to connect and combine and create in the final third isn't as important to me if Christian Pulisic is getting the ball in the places he was getting the ball. And I think Weston will continue to get better as he, you know, unfortunately we get 45 minutes of Weston against Uruguay and you see... You know, this first you'd start expect. in, He's, in yeah, three plus first months, yeah, right. So like, it wasn't going to be like what you would hope will be Weston at the World Cup, but I, I just I keep I kept watching where Christian was getting the ball, the type of space he had when he was getting the ball, and I think there's a couple things there. One, the formational changes, the responsibility changes, put him in better spots to get the ball where he likes to get it more often. But two, I think we're going to see more and more of this is that these opponents aren't going to be treating Christian the same way the CONCACAF opponents were. And that just affords a little bit more space. Now, there was a few times... Why do you think that? I don't know. I I don't know. I I think Because why why would
1: there be any less of a focal point on him from a stronger opponent than from a weaker opponent?
2: I don't know. I don't know why. But I, I thought that that was the case in both of these games. I thought there was far more opportunities where Christian was facing... Facing up defenders with space, far fewer times where he was turning and immediately surrounded by four or five. I mean, guys don't, don't you think
1: that's more of a function of where he was popping up and the space around him wasn't being because I thought in qualifying, sometimes when he would drop inside, there would be West like McKenney or Musa would be right up there in that space as well. Yeah.
2: I mean, again, I do think that the formational changes put him in better spots, but I do I I do think that he's just going to get a little bit more space in games against non cap opponents. And part of it is probably game model of how those teams want to play when they play against the U.S. They slow the game down. They foul a lot more. They try to create a choppy game. That's all part of qualifying. It's the the, the stakes of the games. Sure. in Qualifying are different and than the stakes friendlies. of these friendlies. Yeah, of course. Right. So there's going to be differences there as well. But I just thought that that was my biggest takeaway from these first two games. Like Christian is getting him. He's your best player. He's your most dangerous player. There's still questions at the nine. There's still questions in midfield and in the back line. And, and there have been a lot of questions around Christian. But if you can get him the ball in more dangerous places, mm-hmm. you're going to be a better team. And I thought they looked better as an attacking unit because Christian was getting the ball in more dangerous places more often.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, again, I just keep going back to that question. right? If you're playing 1-8 a little bit more advanced against Morocco, it was Aronson. Against Uruguay, it was McKennie. I have more confidence in Aronson or Gio Reyna in that role to be able to combine efficiently and effectively than I do with Weston McKinney. That's not to say he can't make an impact and that he's not good good at arriving into the box and finishing. He's tremendous on set pieces, covers a ton of ground, and is super, super disruptive. Uh, But if you're talking a pure attacking role, I think I would probably prefer those other two in there. And so that's going to be a really interesting choice for Greg Berhalter. I don't actually. I don't think it's going to. I don't think he views it that way. <laughs> I think he views it as as McKenny, Musa, and Adams, which is fine. I'm just a little bit skeptical of how that group will perform.
2: I mean, uh, I think that's true, Sam. But you brought up. I mean, the the interest. The the one negative of this whole window is no Gio Arena. Right. That was like the big thing you and I were talking about going into this window. Yeah. Is where do you play Gio? And when you remove him from the equation, I agree with you. I think Greg looks at it as. Musa, McKennie, and Adams in the midfield. But when you bring Gio Reyna back into this picture, if he's healthy and Aronson is healthy and Weah is healthy and Pulisic is healthy and then those three midfielders are healthy, now you have some real questions. Yeah, 100%. Because you you do want to look at Gio in the midfield. And if Gio fits that role that Aronson played against Morocco really well, now you have two major lineup questions. The first is...
1: That's a much different defensive situation. Reyna in for Aronson.
2: Right. But it, it changes a lot. It changes a lot. And it creates a question of Aaronson her way on the wing. It creates a question of McKenney or Reno or Musa or Adams and who plays in what roles. It's it just as. And that, there's that's a, without even mentioning the number nine. Right. Where, where I think a couple people now are suggest we've, we've seen Gio suggested there, Christian suggested there, Tim Wea suggested there. All right. So and let's, let's spend time. We're getting here. there. What's, yeah. Let's
1: spend time here. What, what did you think of Jesus Ferrer and Haji right in these two games?
2: I think that they are what we thought they are. I mean, they're, 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 they right. And we let them off the hook. (laughs) No, I mean, I just, no, it's not that, I just, they just, they, yeah, they, they, I think they both have quality. They both show what they're capable of doing. They've shown it in that position. I I still think Ferreira has good movement. I still think he gets himself in good spots. He did. I, I still think he doesn't finish to the degree that you'd want out of the number nine on the international stage. Now, Burhalter might argue there still isn't enough sample size and his movement in the box did open space at times and that ball in from Yedlin in the first half onto his head was, you know, it really was whipped in there pretty hard. It was hard. a difficult finish. It, it was a, it would have been a, uh, it not wasn't a clear, easy finish. But like, I still think that, I guess what I'm trying to say is I still think there's a question mark at that position. And yeah, so then that, course. that, that speaks for itself, right? It's not a, yeah. its not that those players aren't don't have quality or they aren't quality players, but I don't think either of them has had a performance that makes you say like, yep, that's our nine.
1: Right, and and my question sort of comes back to what you were saying about if all of those options are available. If you have Reyna, if you have Pulisic, if you have Weya, if you have Aaronson, are you really going to bench two of those guys and start Jesus Ferreira or Haji Wright or... Ricardo Pepe or Jeremy Bobasie or Brandon
2: Vasquez or Hercules. Jeremy Gomez. and Brandon Vasquez. My I mean, God. I was just going all the way down. You missed my Hercules. You skip. You skip DK. You skip. Yeah, I mean, it, Herc like, might be the best option. I don't like, know. So
1: that, that's that's the question for me: is is do you want to start one of those guys and do they add enough just by playing striker regularly for their club over, maybe say throwing Wea up there or throwing Gio Reyna up there. Uh, to keep one of those players that I mentioned, one of those four, I think we can say Aaronson or Wea, on the bench, or two of them, excuse me. And, and I'm not sure that they do. And I don't know, playing Wea up there would be a much different look. Who knows how comfortable he would be with the movements. He has experience playing the nine in the past. I think Gio Reyna would be really interesting in that role. But, you know, is he going to be doing the pressing work? I think I think he would be excellent in and around the box. Is he? But is he going to get enough touches in that position for his liking? Um, I think it's something, though, that Greg Berhalter has to be thinking about. And I wouldn't hate seeing maybe Wea starting up there in one of these last two matches against Grenada or El Salvador, just to give it a shot. Pulisic's also played that role for Chelsea. I don't love that idea for the U.S., <laughs> For a variety of different reasons, mostly because it would it would lower the number of touches and lower his involvement most likely, um, and that's not
2: something that I think you really necessarily want to do. So yeah, but I don't Sam, know. I, yeah, I, sorry to interrupt, but I, do, mm-hmm. I I I do I want to come back to your point of like playing Wea up top in in these next two games, the Nations League games, and kind of the value of getting a look at him out there, and weighing that against the chance to try to maybe build some confidence in those two strikers Ferreira and Haji, right. By getting them goals and getting them finishes and whether that, whether there's more value in that or not, like, and, and that's, because like what are we really going to learn about Tim Weah up top against Granada? like i think in the same way of like what I you know I think, from the comments you can of those learn strikers. About, you can learn about a
1: guy's movement regardless of opponent you can learn about maybe how he finishes as he's arriving in the box on one touch on a cross right Th- those are questions about Tim Weah that we don't have a ton of sample on in terms yeah. of how he plays in that role so i think you could learn some things um you know i think he's got some good attributes he certainly has the speed to To stretch a back line. There's no doubt about that. So that would be a different look. He's got pretty good size. You know, I don't know how good he is in the air necessarily or how much of hold up play he can do because we haven't seen him do that for the US. He hasn't been asked to do it. But he's Um, played
2: well as a winger and you're sacrificing. He's played great
1: as a winger. Great as a winger. Yeah.
2: That's the the other dilemma is like, do you take that out and say, okay, well, we trust Aronson enough to come close to replicating that and maybe it gives us more, or do you worry that you lose that? I mean, there again, is a... Again, a major reason why having Gio Reyna
1: not in this camp is such a bummer.
2: <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> yeah. is. And I, I really thought we would see Gio Reyna as a false nine in one of these games if he was healthy. I thought that I don't was the more not even think it would be a false nine. Or not nine. even a false nine, but yeah, yeah as, a, as a forward. Yeah. But I, I just think... I mean, I think there were multiple places that you were going to try Gio Reyna to see. Because at this point in time also, like, that name matters. But, like, honestly, when we're talking about the World Cup right now, like, I think Gio Reyna is, is a, a player who's coming off the bench in the World Cup right now, today. Because we what, haven't why? seen enough of him. We haven't seen him. He hasn't been healthy. So he hasn't been fit. So, like, you don't know where he fits in this team or what he does. I mean, Paul, and he's
1: probably I just think, the most natch, most gifted attacking player on the team
2: but he hasn't been healthy at all i don't know how you so can start what? to project that doesn't change the him. fact
1: that he's an incredibly skilled player
2: I, i'm not saying it does but so i'm if saying he's, like you if don't he's know healthy where, for where the world's cup and if he's fit and if
1: he's playing well why would
2: he not where start because do you, you don't know where you play him like i don't know where you play the guy i mean i just think that like i i can't project i think him you can right figure it out as a winger or as an a 10 or as whatever you want to play him in like i just right now like in my mind yes like i think about what he did against mexico at the azteca coming off the bench in that game like I, I i understand what he can do and how different of a player he is i'm not trying to you know disparage him in any way i'm just saying like when i think about this team right now it is hard for me to think about this team with you arena and that's i think that's, i think that's that a stinks. failure of
1: imagination
2: on your yeah yeah probably probably a failure of imagination but i think it's also i think it's indicative of like (laughs) the issues that this team faces like i I just think like there are still unknowns and and because he's the biggest unknown and he's one of the most important players like arguably like at his best like a top three most important player for this team and yet we don't know where he fits in what his favorite role is where he would be best in this team like we haven't had the chance yeah to get him in there and that just stinks it just stinks all i'm saying is it just stinks that like when you're thinking about the World Cup, you're like, OK, I mean, Gio. Reina, OK, well, of. imagine it,
1: though. If you're Greg Berhalter, what would you do if he's healthy and firing in September for those two
2: games and and in November for the World Cup? What would you do? I mean, I think you have to start him at the winger, because I, I think if you don't start him on the wing, I think I don't I don't know what you get if you start him centrally. Like, I don't know how he would play in that role, what his defensive uh, mindset would be how he would press, what you would lose. You haven't seen that yet. You've seen him on the wing for the U.S. multiple times. You've seen him for Dortmund. Not really. I mean, it's not the same system. It's not the same role. It's not It's not the same attitude that he has for when he plays for Dortmund than when he plays for the U.S. Like, I would play him on the wing, and I would play either uh, McKenney or Aaronson centrally and Pulisic on the wing, and and then is coming off the bench. I mean – that's probably what I would end up doing. Or maybe you you do play way at the nine in one of these next four games and see if it works, and maybe he becomes the nine. But I think if I put Gio Reyna anywhere right now, I still put him as the right winger, you know, trying to come into the pockets and, and create that way. I don't hate that.
1: I, I still think I would be a little bit more interested with him as the nine.
2: I think he could take up
1: occupy similar spaces as Ferreira, get a decent amount of touches on the ball, be able to spin and create. And I think when he's arriving into the box, I trust his finishing a lot more.
2: That's pure imagination because we've never seen him play the nine. That is pure imagination. But you know what, Paul? So what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've seen him play right winger for the U.S. how many times? Twice? Three times? So it's not like there's that much more of a sample. That's and, what I'm saying at the beginning I, I of this. You like, yelled at me. Like the, th- the thing about this is is that if you play them on the right and you're playing this system where Musa and Adams are in a double pivot and there's a midfielder advanced on the right in front of them and Ballistic is dropping in, well, Giorena likes to come inside too. Right? And, and Tim Weah, in this system that we've seen the last two games, has been staying really high and really wide to provide width on that right hand side. And is Giorena going to do that the same way? Probably not, right? So yeah, maybe but, you shift back to a four-three-three with with just Adams at the
2: base. Um, I don't know. I think you. I think you play with the rotations, but I think the defensive rotations change. Like I don't think you're asking Yedlin or who Dest or whoever. Dest, I, I mean, definitely. I think Dest probably does. If Dest is there, I think he is playing high and wide, and it's it's a whole whole different. I think that the three man back line rotation that we've seen where. You know, against Morocco, especially Cannon pinched well, Yeah, in. Uruguay. They played. Uruguay wasn't played really norm, that pretty normal form. I think you'd yeah. expect Dest to be high, Gio to be inside of that. Well, then and where is
1: the where is the midfielder then? Is Pulisic wide? No. So where is the eight occupying the same exact
2: space that that Reyna is? No, I think they still do drop. I think they I think they still do drop Musa into the lower position, and you only have one player in the space. It becomes essentially a four-two. Three, one, but, but not really. Three, like a, but with, the three, but the three are all three. playing centrally. Yeah, kind of in the pockets there. Yeah, I mean, I think it becomes. I mean, I think there's a rotation of it, but yeah, I, I think that there is essentially that same idea. I, don't I know. mean, you you understand the balance, right? Like, if Geo's I think I think you're just the clogged, I think the right, that
1: becomes counterproductive. I think you're clogging space for for Reyna and Pulisic in that system, in a way that becomes negative. Like you're talking, you you were extolling the virtues of Pulisic having that space. I think if you play like that, that gets eliminated.
2: But it, that
1: happens no matter where you play Gio Arena. I don't know if that's true
2: about the nine. You don't think don't so? Know. You don't think he would stay high enough? I think Gio Reiner's instinct is to find the ball. All right. Well, hopefully this is a problem that Greg Berhalter will have come
1: November, because that would mean that everybody's healthy. Um, and that's what you want. Um, these, Which these, is not going to be. These, are, yeah, right. It's, <laughs> this is all a ridiculous moot debate, because not everyone's going to be healthy. No one ever is. Um, Paul, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back afterwards, and we'll talk about something else, another big question for the U.S., and that's that second center back spot. Stay with us, Allocation Disorder.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: And we are back. Allocation disorder. Spent a lot of time talking about the USMNT theoretical attacking options. Emphasis on theoretical because, again, some of these guys are going to be hurt. Everyone's always hurt, so it won't even matter
2: quick pause on that i was talking about this with a friend the other day sam because of where the world cup is i mean a hamstring strain that keeps you out for three weeks could knock you out of the world cup like it really it's going to be a totally how is that different than
1: any other world Cup? because
2: you had a little bit more time and build up during the ahead of the summer to get back but if you pull your hammy right before i'm not saying a pull. i'm saying like like a a strand but if you tweak it right before on on november 14th i'm just saying It's, it's i'm interested to see how that Changes yeah. the rosters. That that last weekend of matches on, what, the
1: 11th or 12th or 12th or 13th, whatever it is. you going to have a lot of guys weeks. being like, yo, coach, I don't need to play this one, man. Just get me to Qatar. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be
2: a lot of like, oh, I have a, a little a little knock. I can't go
1: for I'm these last sick. two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah going to be a lot of that. A lot of fake doctor's notes, maybe. Um, anyway, we digress. Paul, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the attack, as I was just mentioning. And we're going to continue with a little bit of comparing contrast, a little bit of debate, but there is another major question on this U S men's national team. And that is the second center back spot. Walker Zimmerman continues, I think to play really well. I thought he was strong against Uruguay. I thought he was strong in his first half performance against Morocco. Uh, I think it's fair to say that at this point, he's number one with a bullet at that spot. Um, but number two with the injury to miles Robinson is very much open. Aaron Long started both matches against Morocco and Uruguay. He went 90 against Morocco, um, got subbed off, I think, early in the second half, if I'm remembering correctly, or was it halftime, against Uruguay for Eric Palmer Brown. Cameron Carter-Vickers came on at halftime of the first match for Zimmerman. Uh, And from what I've seen so far, Paul, I think Long, you know, it's fair to say he's the leader in the clubhouse of those three, but I'm not overly confident in any of those three options heading into the, the fall, the summer, and, and potentially starting at the World's Cup. What are your overall thoughts on those three? And then we'll talk about the one that isn't here as well in Chris Richards.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's fair to say that those three came in in a certain order and probably are leaving in a certain order, in the same order. Like, I, I don't think, again, I don't think anything's really changed about the way I feel about that position. I think Aaron Long, yeah. like you said, is out of that group, is certainly the more likely starter. I don't think Eric Palmer Brown or Cameron Carter-Vickers did anything enough to to pass him, but I do think that the conversation around Aaron Long is not. I don't agree with what it's been, which is that everyone's been negative. It's been negative, but not that part. I think going into this camp, there's been a lot of conversation that Aaron Long is for sure the number two right now. And that, oh, like, it's no different. He was he was a burhalter favorite before his Achilles, and now he's healthy. And so, of course, he's the number two um, next to Walker Zimmerman. I think that if Chris Richards was healthy, that Chris Richards would have started these games. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Richards is the leader to be the number two. I think I, – and I actually think so that So, you can
1: imagine this, but not Gio Reyna.
2: What's, yeah, what's up well, with your imagination right I'm now? I'm not. I don't have to imagine. It's inconsistent Chris, I, I don't have to imagine Chris Richards playing anywhere else besides center back. So that's it's a lot easier because I've seen him do it. Okay. Um, I just think he's. I think Should Chris they play Richards, Gio Reyna at center back. Maybe it's a good way to get him on. He can. He can certainly carry the ball out of the back for them. Um, yeah. I, I. I mean. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think Chris Richards is the number two center back right now, and despite not being in camp, I think you know. His stock, I don't want to say it got helped. I don't think that Aaron Long was that bad, but I think well, that, yeah. I also think Chris Richards was the number two going into this camp and that they were hoping he'd get healthy to come play and he wasn't healthy enough. And I think when the September friendlies come around, my prediction is that Chris Richards will be starting next to Walker Zimmerman.
1: There's a lot of unknowns with Richards that we'll get more into in terms of his club situation in a moment, but I want to spend some time with Aaron Long here because he got kind of very negative reviews from a lot of fans after the morocco game he had one bad moment in that match when he got spun and had to pull one of their forwards down for a yellow card and that that was not a good play but other than that paul i thought he was fine in that match he actually had a couple of of nice line breaking passes one that was was quite good and led to a nice move for the u.s i think in like the 49th minute for haji right ended with him getting a shot on goal Against Uruguay, there were also some issues. I I, um, I don't think he's a great distributor out of the back for the most part, even despite that that nice little blurb that I just highlighted <laughs> against Morocco. Um, you know, there were moments against Uruguay when him and Walker Zimmerman and Tyler Adams were kind of having words with each other out on the field in terms of guys not picking up runners coming into the box. Um, long, in particular, on that front. I will say that he's an athletic player. And I don't think that really gets recognized or even understood. I think people just kind of make some assumptions about that. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say he's sneaky fast. He's not like Wes Welker. Like, no, he's big, tall, and he can run. Like, he's a good athlete. So that's a positive for him. But I mostly agree with you. I think Richards, if he can get healthy, and he had a good number of injury issues, in the Bundesliga last season with Hoffenheim he only played in 20 games. He's a starter for those 20 games, but he missed, you know, more than a third of the season. If he can be healthy and if he can sort his club situation out, then I think he will be the one to start in Qatar, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw some rotation there. And if we saw Aaron Long get a start or two next to Walker Zimmerman as well, yeah. but overall, Paul, this group, more of a concern for me than the number nine.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we've known this, about the center backs it, the reality is like we we talk a lot about the US national team and how much talent this group has and where they play like go look at you know i don't know the top 15 teams in the world cup go by fifa rankings and go look at their center backs look, look at, at where uruguay look at uruguay yeah look at look at uruguay look at look at croatia go look at go look at some of these teams what what their center backs are making what they're valued at how old they are where they're playing how many minutes they're playing it this is a problematic position for the U.S. and it has been, and even when Robinson was healthy, even when I, Robinson was healthy, and say. even when Walker Zimmerman is playing as well as Walker Zimmerman can play, it's still a different level than the very best center backs that are going to be at this World Cup. And there are a lot of really good center backs in the world. There, we we, Sam. This has been a, a drum that I know you have banged on. Maybe not on this podcast as much, but when we are at these qualifiers and we're out to dinner and. Whatever, like people who do this for a living, who study these teams and these rosters, understand that like there are a lot of teams in the world who have players at the types of clubs that the U.S. has players at, and and because this U.S. team is so young, they have those players playing consistent minutes at those clubs. You know, I, I'm not saying that our that the U.S. players aren't good; they are. They're just young, so you're seeing some of the inconsistency that. Yeah happens ups with and downs. growth, right? Yeah. There's the, a lot of growth is not, it's not linear. It's ups and downs. And we're seeing that, right? We're seeing that with pretty much every player on the roster outside of Brendan Aronson, who played consistently at Salzburg. And now he's going to make a step up and I'm sure we'll see similar ebbs and flows with him in the premier league, mm-hmm. but with Weston, with Christian, with Yunus Musa, with Tyler Adams, Adams yeah. with even Serginho Dest at Barcelona. Like there are a lot of these young players who are still fighting for their positions. And that's part of this growth. And there are a lot of teams at the world cup. Actually, all of them are older than this U S team. And most of them have proven players at a lot of these positions. And and I think center back, yes, is a problematic area. And without miles Robinson, it became more problematic. And if Chris Richards can't stay healthy, it's even more problematic. Cause I think that Robinson and Richards are two of the three best center backs in the pool. And so you need, you hope that you have at least Richards. Is, um, is John Brooks still in the pool, in your opinion?
1: <laughs> when you say two of the three best center backs, is John Brooks even in that discussion in your mind?
2: Well, when I was thinking about it just then, no. But I think that I made this argument um, going into this window. I thought John Brooks should be invited because I think that the position is problematic. And I think that if you if you don't have Richards and you don't have Robinson and then you need to have Brooks. And I think I say that despite knowing and feeling that you, I don't think you can play Brooks and Walker Zimmerman together in a pairing. I think that the way that they match up together is problematic. They both have some of the same deficiencies, namely speed and uh, ability to defend in space. And when you push your full backs up as much as the U S does, that becomes a problem. And that speaks to, what Miles Robinson did really well next to Walker Zimmerman, what Aaron Long brings similarly, his athleticism, his speed and pace, and Chris Richards as well. They all kind of fit that role of complementing Walker Zimmerman. But I, I think you need John Brooks in the pool if you're missing any of these guys because once you start going down the depth chart, there, there are more problems than not. Yeah. Um, he's a free agent.
1: Rumors connecting him with Fulham where he could, you know, supplant or team up with potentially tim rehm another center back who has not been called in quite some time to u.s camp um i don't i don't think he has any shot of being called to qatar at this point uh although greg berhalter has surprised us in the past so maybe i shouldn't rule it out entirely um i would say if walker zimmerman got hurt john brooks would be on the roster yeah yeah i think there's a good chance for that but Let's hope that Walker Zimmerman doesn't get hurt because that would be a shame. Yeah. Um I mentioned John Brooks being a free agent. He's not the only guy in the USMNT player pool that's going to be moving this summer. We know that Matt Turner is is on his way to Arsenal. We know that Brendan Aronson is on his way to Leeds. There are quite a few other guys who are kind of in the shop window here and and let's I don't know, we can just run it down. Zach Steffen, goalkeeper, not in this camp due to family reasons according to what I've been told, unlikely to move from Manchester City via loan or transfer. So he'll probably just continue to be the backup behind Ederson uh, at Man City ahead of the World Cup. Matt Turner, of course, expected to be the backup behind Aaron Ramsdale at Arsenal. Ethan Horvath, there's some, I think, uncertainty at Nottingham Forest with Brees Samba and his status at the club. He has informed them, according to the Athletics' David Orenstein, that he wants to leave because they're they're not offering him enough of a raise they're on his new potential contract. So we'll see how that shakes out. I don't think that contract saga is done. So, But that could have an impact on Horvath, although it sounds like Forrest is looking for other goalkeepers too. So he might be the backup as well, which Paul maybe opens the door for Sean Johnson. I don't know. He was I've, good. He, he was, was very good, good
2: against Uruguay. He was good. It was a good performance. I, I, you know, I've always been a guy saying that I thought Sean Johnson was going to be on the plane to Qatar because of what he is in the locker room and all of that. And I think, I, I think Greg Berhalter was giving him a chance to show that he could be a, a, a solid goalkeeper as well because he hasn't had that chance to actually go on the field and play the way Orbath and and Turner. Ten and caps in eleven years team. on the national team for Sean right. Johnson. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it opens a door for Sean Johnson, but it certainly. Makes the conversation a little bit more fun. Um, What
1: do you make of Stefan not looking like he won't move from Manchester
2: City? To be honest, I think it makes sense because I think if he moved, you'd have to find the perfect move to ensure that you're actually playing. It's kind of like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Like He knows he's only going to get a certain number of games at Man City, but he's going to be training every day there and... You know, getting what he gets, I mean, and like, but like, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee if he's training goes home every day. Else. Like,
1: what is that doing for him,
2: man? I mean, he is a. It's a complicated situation when you play for a club like Manchester City. He's making good money. There yeah. aren't going to be that many teams around the world that are going to take on that salary on a short term loan, they, they view him as a competent backup. So they, yeah, and with, they need a
1: competent backup, so they don't want to just let him walk for nothing. Right. Um, so
2: it, it it complicates the loan structures. The the buy, on, the, the sell on clause or like what, what the buy option would be, it, it, you have to find the right partner still. And a lot of clubs who are looking for like a good number one goalkeeper, aren't going to take on a guy that they're only going to have for one year, who's yeah. only doing it to try to get playing time ahead of the world cup. So it just, it doesn't surprise me. I would be surprised at this point if he starts in Qatar. I, I would agree with that. I think, you know,
1: this window, I think has shifted it for me. I and I would agree with that. I think it'll be Matt Turner. Um, which would be an incredible story in its own right, considering his path. Uh, Moving on to the defenders, Sergino Dest. Uh, I have some thoughts on this. Barcelona, according to reports from many, including our own Dermot Corrigan, um, want to move him on. uh, But Sergino Dest likes living in Barcelona and doesn't necessarily want to leave. Paul, would you be at all surprised if Sergino is just like, no, I'm good. I'll chill. Doesn't matter if I don't play. Like I could hundred percent
2: see that happening. I mean, I think my smile when you first started talking about this gave away my answer. To that. <laughs> Not everyone can see you. This is mostly an audio that's, media. That's true. I, I yeah, <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I mean, Serginio is a is an interesting dude, and if he's happy there, I can I could absolutely see him just chilling. Now, all that being said, if it's Bayern Munich. I think it gets a lot harder for Sergio to be like, nah, let's chill on the bench at Barcelona. Like I think Bayern Munich is compelling enough for anyone to say, Okay, you know, maybe I'll go and try to win a champions league. But you know, I don't, I don't think know, he's man. gonna leave to I don't think he's gonna leave his house at Barcelona to go play for He's building a house in Seat which I know about
1: because I watch international house hunters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even gonna ask for a further explanation. Let's By the on. way, speaking of house hunters international, Clarence Goodson. Former USMNT oh, right. <laughs> World Cup player, I think, in 2010. If I'm remembering right, he was on that show. So just lots of lots of House Hunters International US national team connections. It's this is the content you come to Allocation Disorder for, right here. Um, so Serginio Dest definitely want to keep an eye on. Sevilla and Chelsea also reportedly keeping an eye on him. We mentioned Richards. He's a Bayern Munich under contract with them. He was on loan to Hoffenheim for the last season and a half. Uh, like we mentioned, he he was a starter there when he was healthy. He performed pretty well, and according to what I have been told, according to what has been reported, he's caught the eye of Crystal Palace in the Premier League. I've also heard that Southampton have shown some interest in him as well. Um, you know, I think Taylor Twellman said it on the broadcast of the Morocco match last week that you know that he would be surprised if he didn't make a move to England. There's been some subsequent reporting out of Germany in the last couple of days. That said, basically, hey, like, there's no sure thing that he's going to move. Bayern are interested in letting him have a chance in preseason and and seeing kind of where he falls. So I think this one isn't done by any means. Um, But it is a tough group to break into, Bayern Munich. They have a lot of expensive center backs on that roster. Um, So Richard's, I think, fair to say facing an uphill battle. Um, And I think also fair to say that, you know, if he's not going to be getting playing time with Bayern, that he would want to move. And want to go well, to a club where he has a better shot at minutes.
2: I would say it's convenient for Bayern Munich to have reports in the German press that they're you know that they value him highly and would like sure. to give him a chance to be a starter. I know when I went. In- Why is it convenient? You think they want more money or something? Yeah. Why would you want more money for a player? They they do rate him. I know they've rated him for a long time. They they but, thought about it But him again, as a they have Munich like player. four very expensive they're, center They're backs. Bayern yeah. Munich and and historically it's very difficult to be an Academy player that breaks in. They're trying to change that. They they've they've changed their structure at Bayern Munich to make an easier path for players to come through the academy and play at Bayern Munich. But you're still Bayern Munich. You can buy any player you want, typically from other the other good teams in Germany and you know just they have one leaving dominant. in Sula right so. so you know it'll be interesting to see but I think Chris Richards understands the situation and would like to be doing what he was doing at Hoffenheim which is starting every every single week
1: yeah for sure um a couple other defenders that I have my eye on Reggie Cannon he's been at Boa Vista didn't play a lot for them at the start of last season because he was pretty publicly looking for a move and I think they were like all right man like go sit on the bench then <laughs> Uh, But he got back in and played primarily as a right center back week in, week out. I think it would be great for him if he could leave and go up a level, either in terms of team or league, because Boavista is not a very strong team in Portugal. Um, We'll see if that happens. I don't know. I haven't really heard anything to that regard. Cameron Carter Vickers, another one. He was on loan at Celtic this past year. Um, He told me or us last week in Cincinnati that, you know, if possible, he would like to stay. But that there are a lot of options kind of on the table at this point, and he doesn't really know what's going to happen. So, and I'll, I'll say, we'll if you look there. at
2: reporting around Celtic, the fans loved Cameron Carter-Vickers. He was a, a, the player of the year for the fans, um, many of them at least. And but they, that they were looking at center backs who could maybe be a little bit more efficient on the ball. Um, you know, Celtic has the vast majority of possession in most of the games they play. Um, but you know, in games where they got pressed, they felt like they they could have been better. Out of the back, and so center. The fact that center back is on their shopping list, I think, complicates things for Cameron Carter-Vickers. But he was very, very good defensively for them. And the fans I mean, he really, could really, he like could them. be on that shopping list. No, yeah, he could be. But they are looking to. I mean, they would have to, they position. would have to
1: buy him if if they want to keep him. Yeah. So, um. Anyway, so we'll see how where he shakes out. Um. Shaq Moore is another one I think to keep an eye on. Uh. He was not called to this camp because he's actually still playing. With Tenerife in the segunda in Spain. They are in the promotion final coming up this week and next. He he didn't he was a backup this year. He only started ten matches in the regular season, but he, he's played their last four, their last two regular season games and their and their first two um playoff promotion games, both legs of the semifinal. Uh so we'll see. You know, if he gets promoted to La Liga, I would imagine that he would like to stay. Who knows what Tenerife want? Um, but if he doesn't, I think he might have some options here in the U S Paul. So we'll have, you know, by the time you're listening to this, hopefully you can find out more about that on the athletic.com, but I'm not going to give too much more away just in case that story isn't out yet. Um, so that's, that's it for the defenders. And then I think there are some really, really big questions in the midfields and in the attack. And we'll get to that after the break. Stay with us.
3: FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. Running down the USMNT summer window outlook. We talked about the defenders and the goalkeepers already. But Paul, the big questions for me are in midfield and in attack. And I think we'll start with Tyler Adams. He's been at Leipzig. He's been in the Red Bull system his entire life, dating back to his days in New York, in MLS. But he had a difficult season in, in Germany. You know, he after Jesse Marsh left the club in, in December and Dominic Tedesco took over as head coach, he didn't really play all that much. He started just five league games under Tedesco. He only started 12 Bundesliga matches overall. He kind of lost out on his more regular role to Conrad Leimer. Um, Leimer is reportedly drawing interest of his own from of course Bayern Munich because that's where all good German players go or Bundesliga players go I should say (laughs) but you know that could theoretically open up some time for Adams if he did stay but it doesn't sound like he's necessarily looking for that based on his tone and words when asked about it last week and according to reports Leipzig are open to moving him as well he's been connected with Sevilla with Benfica and with uh, Leeds United, where, of course, Jesse Marsh is head coach. Um, but Paul, what what do you make of his season at Leipzig? And what do you make kind of of his stock and future outlook? Should he be a guy that's looking to move right now?
2: Well, I think, again, it's what I touched on earlier in the show, which is that this is what happens with young players, that there, you know, there are these moments of growth where things aren't going great for you. And, and, how do you push through it? What happens? And and we've seen it, I think, most prominently with someone we're going to talk about in a bit, in Christian Pulisic. You can be a good player and still have these issues. Um, do I think that he should move on? Yeah, I mean, if it's, if he's going to stay in a situation at Leipzig, that's what it was this year. Then yeah, I think it, I think there is value in him getting out of the Red Bull system and and growing as a player outside of that comfort zone. Um, Is that what he would be walking into with Leeds? No, that would be very much the same system that he's grown up with, with literally the player, the coach who he grew up with um, and Jesse Marsh. Uh, But certainly the Premier League would bring new challenges. I think Benfica would be a really interesting landing spot for him. You know, it's it sounds like the chatter there has died down a little. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that a 20 million euro price tag would make things a little bit more difficult for Benfica in general but I would like to see Tyler Adams move. And, you know, I think he's capable of still getting better and growing in the right system. And so, you know, where he lands would be the most interesting thing for me. And again, I, I'm a little lukewarm on the idea of him going to Leeds. I think that's kind of a, a safe move for him in a way. But, you know, it's never that safe in the Premier League, right? Like, I know that that forces you to grow. Um, as a player, no matter what. So it, it, it's interesting, but I, I certainly think for me, I think the best move for him would be to move.
1: Yeah, uh, I think Sevilla would be interesting in a lot of different ways, playing in a much different league, much different style uh, than he was used to. I don't honestly, I don't put much in the Leeds rumors and maybe I'll sound like an idiot later on, but I would be surprised if Jesse Marsh after signing Brendan Aronson, after reportedly hiring Chris Armis as an assistant, went back to the well for another American
2: player. To be fair to Jesse, Brendan Aronson was done before Jesse Marsh got hired. Sure. I think that, but, that helps but there's a little a, bit. But
1: there's a perception. People aren't going to think of that there.
2: No, they know because they knew it was hugely reported there. They followed it very closely, what was happening with, with Brendan Aronson. So they understand that part of it. But I think when you hire Chris Armis, then yes, I think it does complicate Signing Tyler Adams, I would I think, agree Aronson,
1: that. I think Aronson. I think complicates it too. But, but I, I don't but even. I I don't even care that it was in, in the works before Jesse was hired.
2: But I do agree with you, Sam, in that I just think that that move is a. Di- I I I put it in that it's like kind of a safe move or whatever. I don't love that move partly because I just think that it's better for Tyler to go work for somebody new. Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Um, and you know, I think it was a tough year for him. Like I remember talking to him last summer like maybe last July or August for a story that I did. And, and he, I was talking to him, Hey, what's your club future? Cause at that time he had been linked to Arsenal a couple of times and he was saying that, Hey, I'm still enjoying myself here in Leipzig. And you know, I'm still confident that I can really grow at this club. And this year he sort of backslid a little bit and, and you know, you listen to him and I'll just read the quote. You know, at Leipzig, obviously it was a difficult season for myself. Of course, I think I should have been playing a little bit more towards the end of the season, getting that opportunity to play, especially based off of the performances that I had. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. That's a lot different than the quote he gave me last summer, which was like, you know, realistically, where am I going to go from Leipzig and have it be an upgrade? Like there's maybe eight clubs in the world that are at at the level that we're at right now. And, And so the tone is just dramatically different. And he's a pretty forthright guy. It sort of sounds like he wants out at this point. So I would expect him to move. I don't know where it'll happen. I don't know when it'll happen. Don't know what the fit will be, obviously, but I would expect him to go. Some other midfielders that could potentially be moving on. Weston McKennie. on that list. Um, he's been linked to Tottenham. Antonio Conte, Italian manager, obviously familiar with, with McKenney's time in Serie A at Juventus. Um, he was quoted similarly to Adams not quite as strong but that he would be open to moving to the Premier League reportedly Juve put a 40 million euro price tag on him which is, is quite steep um, so I don't I think there's a lot less urgency for this than than anything with Adams I think I would not be surprised in the least to see him back with Juventus at the start of next season but definitely some chatter there Paul any, any other thoughts on that yeah. one?
2: I would say it's it's. I don't think it's a coincidence that every window that opens up, Weston McKennie is is a name that's floated around. I think Juve feels like Tottenham a lot too. Yeah, I mean, the, certainly there's been interest there, and I think Juve is not against selling him. I think they're saying, okay, this is a player we could sell and be okay with selling, make a and big profit on, make some yeah. big money on, right? But that they're also not like aggressively shopping him because he hasn't moved. So I agree with you in that there's no. I don't think there's urgency from any side to move him. But that if the right deal comes along, that he would get moved.
1: Yeah. Luca de la Torre, Heracles, relegated in Holland. I think it's fair to expect him to move on. TBD where? I believe he has a Spanish passport. So maybe we see a move to Spain in his cards, but we'll see. Georgi Mihailovic, guy I'm interested in, um, was supposed to be playing that Brendan Aronson role in the first game against Morocco but had a late injury for Montreal. So he had to pull out of this camp. I'm not sure. I haven't heard anything, Paul. I don't know if you have about a potential move for him. He went and trained with Bologna in January. Uh, Joey Saputo, of course, owns Bologna and Montreal. So some synergies there. Yeah. I'm not say. sure
2: that from what I've heard, I'm not sure that that move would happen, but I, I know he was another guy who was linked to Leeds. I Again, I just think it's an easy connection to make. <laughs> if you're American, American you're linked to Leeds. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. The, I don't know what'll happen with him because I think I think it would be unwise for him to move. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. Um, but I know he's a player with aspirations to do it, and sometimes that's what ends up forcing a move. So if I'm
1: Georgi Mihailovich, I'm continuing to kill it with Montreal for the rest of the year because if I'm doing that, then I think I make the World Cup team. And I think there's a lot more risk involved with a move to Europe right now uh, of not making that squad. And, you know, if you make the World Cup team, if you have an awesome year in MLS, the move will come. It just might be six or 12 months delayed. Uh, and I think you just try and deal with that if you're him. Gianluca Busio, a guy that I think most people would be surprised at this point if he was on the plane to Qatar. Uh, Venezia, relegated. He reportedly has some out clauses in that that where he could go on loan to big five leagues um, and sort of dictate that. Malik Tillman, the new guy. German-American similar to Richards came through the Bayern Academy um, he has not gone out on a loan yet uh, but there are reports that that could happen for him this summer so we'll see on that front again another guy that I think at this point you'd be surprised to see him make the World Cup roster um, but you never know with these things especially with young players they can make big jumps
2: quickly so if he gets the right loan and he, and he goes and starts and kills it
1: yeah. yeah then who knows and then Paul we have the really big one and that's Christian Pulisic uh no one really knows what's going on with him and chelsea uh liam toomey one of our intrepid correspondents who covers chelsea for the athletic put out an article today on wednesday as we sit here recording about this entire situation and basically there haven't been many talks yet is the main takeaway from that article between pulisic and and the club they obviously have new american ownership there uh liam reports basically don't that don't expect Pulisic to get some sort of sweetheart treatment because he shares a nationality with club owners, um, that they want to sort of trim some of the fat and not have as many expensive bench players and just like an accumulation, over-accumulation almost, of talent. They want to better balance their squad compared to what was seen during the Roman Abramovich era. He's been open with his desire for more playing time. Uh, he has not played a ton. Certainly not started very regularly under Thomas Tuchel. His dad sort of had an infamous tweet <laughs> um, a month or two ago about how it was such a shame that he wasn't in the starting lineup because he loves his teammates and the club in London and you know whatever big six months ahead. And and that's you know I think fair to say some writing on the wall and a window into kind of how the, how his camp is viewing things. There have been links to. Help me out here. Barcelona, there have been links to Iron Munich. I think Iron Munich, mentioned. Liverpool, and Jurgen Klopp have had interest in him in the past. Um, if they lose Sadio Mane, maybe they maybe they make a move for Christian Pulisic. Or when they lose Sadio Mane, <laughs> maybe they make a move for Christian Pulisic. That would be an incredible landing spot for many different reasons. Um, but definitely a lot of no- unknowns here. And I think Pulisic for his development as a player whether it's with Chelsea or whether it's somewhere else, needs more regular minutes. You know, he, he isn't really able to find a, a consistent rhythm at the club level. And there are times when he pops. We saw that earlier this season, I think before the January, February window when he was on a really hot run. But then, you know, he goes back and he's on the bench and, he, and it's hard It's hard to be at your peak when you're yo-yoing in and out of the lineup. And that's that's what the case has been for him at Chelsea. So again, I'll ask you the same question I asked you about Adams. Do you think he goes, and do you think he should?
2: Um. Yes, I think he should. I think that he clearly doesn't fit what Tuchel wants, and he's had no matter when he plays well or not, he's had to kind of push every time for for des- the minutes he deserves, or or sometimes, you know, minutes at the spot where he he's best. Yeah, he moved around a lot. Wherever, yeah. Um. So I think he would benefit from going somewhere where he could play consistently and play at his position consistently. The question is where does that where is that? Right because those and, clubs
1: we mentioned, Liverpool, Barcelona, There's no guarantee of regular playing time at any of those places. Yeah.
2: And I think that's the thing, is like it's not even about like going somewhere where you don't have competition. Like I think he should still have competition and still be playing at a high level. But I think it was the way that it felt like the competition was going for Christian. I felt like it felt like he could never convince Tuchel that he was the guy. Like, no matter when he was playing well or not. Yeah. And Tuchel had like all these different excuses for it. I mean, I think the fact that he was facing the questions he did about Christian was indicative of the fact that it didn't feel like a normal situation there competitively for minutes mm-hmm. um do I think Liverpool would be the best landing spot for him probably not but I could see Bayern Munich being a good fit I could see I mean if no Mane and if Salah leaves yeah I mean I don't think they'll lose both I think that would well, be if Salah
1: leaves next year I
2: think yeah so I, I, it'll be interesting to see I, I think a move would be great but man his price tag is so big that it would only be a club like that that's the thing it's I don't think Chelsea's gonna
1: be willing to take I think if they move him they would take a hit. I don't know how big of a hit they'd be willing to take. And they bought him for what, seventy million dollars? Yeah, I
2: don't think it's that big of a hit. From what I've from everything I've read and everything I've heard, like I think they'd like to try to recoup as much as they can. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean the full transfer fee because he's played there for a while, so you kind of Yeah, you kind of count that as part of his pave over the course of three years or four, however long he's been there now. Three but, yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the price is going to be steep, and so you, when you yeah. there's a there's not a there's a reason why clubs like Liverpool and Bayern Munich are mentioned. Barcelona would have to do some more gymnastics to be able to sign Christian Ballistic. Well, they're at- they're at- having
1: to do gymnastics regardless. A lot of for, a lot of free gym- transfers, just, just doing gymnastics. backflips and handstands. <laughs> there's a lot going on there with Xavi in that club. But Paul, I mean, the main thing for me here is he's only got two years left on his deal. So I think there needs to be resolution this summer in terms of a contract extension or in terms of a transfer, because Chelsea, from their perspective, the longer this drags out and the longer this, this winds down and the closer Pulisic gets, you know, if, if we're here next summer, they don't have much leverage in terms of how much of a transfer fee that they can get. So if they're looking to recoup that money, the
2: time to do it is now. Or they extend him. It, it's a nervy. It's a nervy time for national team fans because I mean it's not a great situation at Chelsea, but it is like you know what it is. I mean it'll be really interesting if he moves because the World Cup is this this winter. So um, yeah, man. So so many interesting dynamics here with Christian Pulisic, with the price, with the clubs that would have to be involved, the c- competition that would exist there, the the levels of the, the differences in the leagues between Premier League and Bundesliga and La Liga. I mean the what he would be asked to do. I it's 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 fascinating. It's gonna be a lot of fun to watch anytime there's a name like this moving around. And and we're seeing these dominoes fall. Like you mentioned Mane. I mean there are Lewandowski's moving like some big names are moving this summer. So um it's it, it's interesting to have an American be a part of that kind of carousel. Yeah, for sure. Um Paul, before we hop off the carousel of this
1: particular episode, let's let's spend at least a minute talking about these games coming up. Grenada in the Nations League in Austin on Friday, and then going down to El Salvador for a Nations League match against them on the 14th. So that's next Tuesday. Um, These are not... These games suck. I'll just say it. These games suck. It is a bummer that the US and Canada and Mexico, for that matter, are having to play in them because they're not the kind of World Cup prep that you want. They're just not. You want to be playing games like you just did against Morocco and Uruguay, strong teams outside of CONCACAF that are unfamiliar and that are going to Qatar and that are a real test. These these next two games are not that. I would argue that the U.S. could get more out of a split squad scrimmage than they could against Grenada, which maybe is a little bit harsh, but that's kind of how I feel about it. So if you're a Greg Berhalter, how do you approach these games? And what are you looking for? You know, he sort of mentioned the Grenada game is one where he's going to test out some guys who are further down the roster. But what do you think the priorities should be over these next two matches? And how much can we really expect them to get out of this?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I will say I'm kind of surprised that he's bringing everyone to these games. Like, I thought... You have such limited time with the team, and I saw so I get why you're looking at it like, okay, every training session matters before the World Cup. Yeah. But at the end of a, of a really long season that included not just the European season, but a grueling World Cup qualifying campaign, I thought that he might release some guys, like especially Christian, Tyler... Um, Brendan Aronson, guys who have been around for all of those qualifiers. Probably, I mean, probably not McKinney. Probably not McKenny because him he, he needs the fitness, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but all those other guys I thought would, would give a chance to kind of go go rest, go take it easy, and we're going to experiment time with the family. here anyway. Yeah. But, but, yeah, that's what I think this is going to be. I think what it should be is experimentation, trying guys that you haven't seen a ton of before, maybe doing what you said, trying Tim Weah up top, seeing what, what that looks like. Um, Messing around with formations a little bit—it's just hard because you have such limited time with these guys before the World Cup. So you're torn between, okay, we don't need to, we don't need to push these guys too hard that have had these long seasons and who are, we know are going to play for us in Qatar. Um, but you value all of those training sessions into trying to implement different formational changes, like we've seen different rotations that we've seen. Um, I would expect to see heavy rotation in these games starting. You know, guys who guys like Malik Tillman and Haji Wright, who you haven't seen as much of um, trying to get as Cameron Carter Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown, you know, get more of that and see what you've got and 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 maybe put some guys in late in the games to, to get a quick run out. But, you know, man, I don't think you need to see Christian Pulisic against Grenada in the Nations League. And I, I agree. It's, it's, it's a missed opportunity uh, but this is the way international soccer has turned. Everyone's talked about, oh, Uruguay is the best opponent the U.S. has faced under Burhalter. Well, that's because of things like the Nations League. It's very hard to schedule games now, and, and this is another example of that. Did they play Brazil under Serekin? Was that?
1: Was a, was a it wasn't under Burhalter Okay. That was late 2018, I think. Anyway, um, neither here nor there. I think the main thing is that you probably start Haji right against Grenada. You give him the first run out. After that, depending on how he and Ferreira look in that game, I think you really consider moving Waya to that number nine role against El Salvador, just to give it, give it some reps and see what it looks like. Um, that, for me, would be my main priority over these next two matches, is to kind of just test some options at the number nine. Um, beyond that, I think we'll see some depth, get some looks. Kellen Acosta, I'm sure, will play. Maybe Christian Roldan gets a run out, a guy... I think like Sean Johnson, who's deserving of one that hasn't had much of a chance. Um, and I think he'll be kind of a rotation play against Grenada. So we'll see. Um, but I really don't think there's a ton that you're going to be able to take out of these two matches. And considering the timeline, that's unfortunate because once this camp ends, the U S has nine days together and two matches left in Europe, likely against Asian opponents who Greg Berhalter said would be world cup teams. Um, before they convene for camp in Qatar, so there is not much time left, and, uh, and they you know, have this is... five, six days together in Qatar
2: before the first game. Five training sessions. Yeah,
1: I mean the the release date is November fourteenth. The first game is November twenty-first. So that's minimum time will be a week. Some of the MLS guys that are on the team, you know, depending on how far they go in the MLS Cup playoffs, there will be a camp that convenes before that. And so anyone that's able to be released early will will get in early and, and it's TBD where that's going to be. Um, maybe it'll be in Europe and they'll meet up there and then head over to Qatar as a full squad. But yeah, it's it's not going to be, there isn't going to be much time for sure. So this is kind of it. It's this in September and then that's that. It's on to the World Cup and it's on to Wales, England and Iran and potentially some knockout games after that. Paul? For us, it's on to next week and next week's episode. Um, you're going to be covering the Grenada game, and I don't know what the plan is for El Salvador, but we'll figure something out. So stay tuned for that on The Athletic. Uh, by the time you're listening to this show, the Grenada game may have already happened. Um, but if not, it's on Friday night, I believe at 9 p.m., on ESPN Plus only and Unimas, or 2DNA, 2DNA, or maybe both. I can't quite remember. It's on Spanish TV if you want to watch on TV and not stream, Um, with our buddies Michele Giannone and Danny Nora and Marcella Balboa. So just go watch with them. They're great. Anyway, uh, I'm Sam. He is Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder. Thanks for listening.